Hi there, this is Omar Crook, host of Living with a Genius. I want to personally thank you for your financial support. Your donation helps keep this show chugging right along, and I truly couldn't do it without you. As always, thanks for listening. Be kind, do good work, and until next time. Here's Living with a Genius for June 9th, 2020. It's the birthday of inimitable American composer and songwriter Cole Porter, born on this day in 1891 in Peru, Indiana. Porter was possibly the greatest popular songwriter of the 20th century. Of the more than 800 songs he produced during his life, dozens have become standards and are still constantly being recorded today. Many of his songs are so full of references to passing fads and forgotten celebrities that they seem almost to have been designed to go out of fashion. But John Updike wrote that each time we hear the words of, You're the top, something tender, solemn, nonsensical, and absolute seems to be being said. And he's right. While Cole Porter's life was riddled with hypocrisy and deceit, his songs have the ring of truth about them. According to biographer William McBrien, Porter once said that he couldn't analyze his own work, but that he could characterize others. The work for Dick Rogers' melodies, I think, is holy, he'd say. For Jerome Kern, sentimental. For Irving Berlin, simplicity. For my own, I don't know. But we know. For all his breezy cosmopolitanism, insistent name-dropping, and devilishly clever rhythms, his songs were all heart. In 1943, Irving Berlin proposed to Jack Warner that a film should be made of Porter's life, arguing that his heroism after both his legs were crushed in a riding accident in 1937 would be an inspiration to wounded American servicemen. But the various screenwriters commissioned to produce a script complained about the lack of struggle in his life. It was the case that Porter's life had produced little drama except in his obsessive romances with other men. But his homosexuality was obviously a taboo subject. When he approved the final script, Porter said contentedly, none of it's true. The beautiful Linda Lee Porter, with whom he shared an affectionate marriage of convenience for 35 years, was no doubt pleased that the script was misleading, for she had always been desperately keen that his homosexuality remain hidden. The film Night and Day, starring Alexis Smith as Linda and absurdly Cary Grant as Cole, was completed in November of 1945, and as the reviewers did not hesitate to point out, it was exceptionally false even by biopic standards. But it reflected a trait that its real-life heroes had in common, an urge to subordinate truth to their joint purpose of presenting a smooth and glossy front to the world. Cole had already started playing around with the truth when, at age 14, he went from his home in Peru, Indiana, to boarding school at Worcester Academy in Massachusetts. With the connivance of his mother, Katie Cole Porter, he registered himself as two years younger than he actually was. He had shown musical talent as a child on the piano and the violin and at composition, and his mother, who was very ambitious for him, most likely wanted him to be thought as a prodigy. He then went east against the express wishes of his maternal grandfather, J.O. Cole, who had amassed a great fortune in California during the gold rush and planned for his grandson to stay in Indiana and train to take over his various businesses. The old tyrant was so angry with his daughter Katie for sending Cole to Worcester that he didn't speak to her for two years. As for Cole's father, Sam Porter, 
He was a remarkably passive man who ran a successful drugstore in Peru and seems to have played no part in the argument at all. Cole later dismissed him snobbishly and rather cruelly as a parvenu druggist. At Yale, where he owed his social success largely to his gift for writing and performing amusing songs, Cole was sometimes regarded as a bit of a social climber himself. A friend there, Gerald Murphy, heir to the Mark Cross fortune, later described him as a little boy from Peru, Indiana, in a checkered suit and a salmon tie, with his hair parted in the middle and slicked down, looking just like a westerner dressed up for the East. After Yale and a subsequent unsuccessful spell at Harvard Law School, Porter abandoned all other ambitions to become a songwriter. In 1915, with his Yale friend T. Lawrison Riggs, he wrote his first professional musical, See America First, which opened in New York in March of 1916 to rotten notices and closed after only 15 performances. It was patriotic in a slightly mocking way and included a song advising against travel to European lands effete. Mortified by the show's failure, Porter left the following year for Paris, claiming later to have joined the French Foreign Legion, though the precise nature of his war service remains mysterious. But he was to stay in European lands effete for many years, enthusiastically assimilating their effeteness. In 1919, he married Linda Lee Thomas, a wealthy Southern belle and divorcee who was 15 years older than he. Together in Paris, Venice, and the French Riviera, they shone in smart expatriate society until he moved to New York again in the 1930s and finally achieved the recognition he so justly deserved. The real feeling in so many Porter songs is too often overlooked because of his efforts to always appear urbane. The last major biography of Porter by Charles Schwartz portrayed him as a man with a ferocious sexual appetite that he sought to satisfy purely in casual encounters with sailors, truck drivers, and male prostitutes. But McBrien reveals him as having also formed passionate, enduring attachments that inspired some of his most poignant songs about the frailty of love. You'd be so nice to come home to, which so touched Americans in the war that it knocked Irving Berlin's White Christmas off the hit parade in 1942, and was referred to by the choreographer Nelson Barcliffe as Our Song. Porter once claimed to Richard Rogers that his most successful songs, with their constant shifting from the major to the minor key, were Jewish tunes. Rogers agreed and wrote in his autobiography that the melodies of Night and Day and Love for Sale, among others, were all Jewish songs. He added, It's surely one of the ironies of the musical theater that despite the abundance of Jewish composers, the one who has written the most enduring Jewish music should be an Episcopalian millionaire who was born on a farm in Peru, Indiana. Porter's end, sadly, was terrible. Following the deaths of the two most important people in his life, his mother and his wife, and the 1958 amputation of his right leg, all within the space of a few years, he stopped writing songs completely and died in California in October of 1964, a morose and lonely millionaire of 73 years, beset by irrational worries about money. But we're all left with his endearing, graceful songs. As I said, over 800 of them. Thanks for listening. Be kind.
do good work. And until next time. From major to minor, every time we say.